Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. I want to, um, you know, this is a tough, uh, a tough week for me, and I'm going to share a couple things. Um, you know how um, if you're if you everybody prepares differently for the way that they preach and the way in their you know what God has for them. But how I prepare is um, usually I get an impression on the inside, and it comes in um, more most of the time. It comes in my prayer time. Is I'll just get this impression. And I'll begin to think about that impression, and then scriptures will begin to flow in that direction. And, and there's sometimes that the Lord just gives me a download, and it's just like, but otherwise I call it a bucket thing, is I always got about three or four buckets that the Lord's building sermons or principles or truth to begin to share. And that is the same with this week, is this message started stirring in me a while back, and then I planned it for this weekend, not realizing that this week, a dear brother, a dear friend, if you didn't know, Peter Wagner went home to be with the Lord on Friday. And it's tough. You know, I've cried, and it's tough because I don't fully understand, but I do know that the grace of God is stronger. And, and you know, you, I, I stop, and and he went home to be with the Lord, and, and I draw my, my comfort from the Scripture, and the Scriptures tell me that life is a vapor. You say, what is a vapor? A vapor is kind of like if I had a, um, a teapot up here and a steam came out of the top, is you can see it momentarily, and then it's just gone. It's gone. So that's the way life is. We down here think that life is... Um, it's permanent. We kind of think we can control. We kind of think all of these things, and even our culture reaffirms it, and if we can't control it, then it's somebody's fault and something's wrong until something happens that we don't have all the answers for. And, you know, as I prayed over, and I'm going to give you my title in just a moment, um, I was with the family all through the week, and please respect their privacy. Taya and all the kids, in case you didn't know, Taya is the children's pastor on staff here. As Taya and the kids were in first service, they said, we're going to church. We're going to church. And so we just came up with a plan that you can slip in and so you don't get a lot of questions and all of that stuff. But if you have watched her Facebook posts, you have seen a woman of God that is just strong just like you've seen, and I'm just like so proud of them. But there is a natural grieving process. There is a process that we go through. And, and you know, as I prayed, because the title, before anything happened, in case you didn't know, Peter was supposed to be playing keyboards last week during worship but woke, had a severe headache in the morning, and he said, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to play. And then he started throwing up, and if you knew Peter, he doesn't call off for nothing. And then he called the worship team last Sunday morning and basically said, I'm too sick to go in. 
And then um, we prayed with them. And, and then later in the day, in the evening, Taya, late afternoon, Taya said, I'm taking you to the hospital. And she took him to the hospital. And they were like, oh, it's, you know, it's just this. Or it's, you just have a migraine or this, all, all these types of things. And then they ran a CAT scan and they realized, whoa, this is a big problem. And he went into surgery and he never recovered from the surgery. And, you know, as I'm sitting here and going through this process with the entire family, I stopped and I said, you know, the title of what the Lord dropped in my heart a while back that I felt impressed before any of this happened is called getting over it. And I stopped and I said, there's no... And as I prayed, the Lord said, don't you think think I knew about everything that was going to happen. And I began, I just stopped and I said, Lord, as I, and I just, okay, Lord, okay, I'll teach on it and I'll preach it. Not knowing the freshness of what had just transpired. I didn't say getting past it. I said getting over it. Past it implies just turn the page as quick as you can. Over it implies that you, it, when you stop and you think about it, is it's overcoming. It's, it's being able to take steps forward. It isn't just I need to get this, but over, uh, getting over it means that I overcame some things. And I realize that when I make the statement or the title, getting over it, is I realize that that is a super loaded statement right there. It is a very loaded statement. And you say, why, why is it? Well, to some right now, like their family, is it's really fresh. It's super fresh. And, and they want to, but there's a healing process. There's a grieving process. In all of this, there's a learning from it. There's a keeping my inside right. There's a walking it out so that I can transition well through going through this. And, and, and that is a totally normal process. But sometimes to others, it's been long enough and now it's negatively affecting our lives because God's trying to lead us to get over something, but we're not not following his lead in regard to it. And so I want to be really clear in regard to being sensitive to it is that when we go through things is that we got to, on the inside, there's a healing. On the inside, there's a growing. On the inside, there's a grieving. On the inside, we're going through, but we must respond in the direction of the Lord in order to overcome it. Are you with me? You know, I, I think Getting over it implies I'm going to move forward into this next season in a way that I have faith and I'm not hindered. I'm not hindered in this next season. You know, these are times I've noticed is that whenever we go through something is that there are times that we establish in our lives sometimes patterns and habits on how we handle difficult things in our life. 
And we establish those, and they, they tell us, uh, neuro, uh, psychological people tell us that it's a portion of our brain that's deep recessed in our brain that um, like 40% of our habits are just, we don't even think, we just go there. We just kind of go there, and the rest of our brain is reserved for those uh, decisions and day-to-day things, but these are times that we establish patterns and we establish habits. In the Bible, for different things is they had allotted amounts of time for grieving. If you ever study it, Old Testament, even in Jesus' day, is they were given, and once those times were fulfilled, they would kind of, and I'm not advocating, it wasn't because God said do it this way, it was the way that they did things in their particular day. But whenever we talk about getting over something in our life, really, this isn't a point. This is really, I believe, a a, a question. The very first thing that we must ask ourselves is, do I want to get over it? Do I want to get over it? Because sometimes people are like, they don't really, they're they're not wanting to get over it. And so, and, and and I'm not just saying make a superficial statement. I'm saying, no, really. Do you want to get over it? Do you want to move forward? See, in these times that we live today in America, being a victim can become a license to stay in a place that maybe it was supposed to be a season in our life, but now it is turned into a lifestyle. And we're stuck in that season. We're stuck in something that should have been a season, and it's a lifestyle. And I think then is when we develop a victim mentality. And a victim mentality, what it does is it justifies staying in a place that should have been a season that now we're kind of, it's a way of seeing life and, it, and it's a lifestyle. And in all fairness, sometimes we want to get over things. And, and I just want to get, no, but we don't know how to get over things. We don't know. It's like, God, I want to get over. And then there's other things that are beyond our control when we say this. And what I mean by that is we say, okay, God, I want to get over it, and I'm learning how. But then due to this, it just keeps keeps getting stirred up and stirred up and stirred up in in my life. You know, in all honesty, everyone here has faced unjust, unfair situations, falsities, experience is treatments and things in our life that we didn't understand, we still don't understand, and we don't get it. We, we look at it. And our ability to process and keep a healthy heart and to have faith, which leads to growing optimism about our future in God. Growing optimism is what happens is, is, and then I believe it, it gives us the ability to truly continue to love people genuinely in our life where we're not dragging stuff because this happened. You know, years ago, when I say years ago, this was like probably more than 25 years ago and I was a young minister and there was this older guy. And when I say older, I looked at him as being really old. He was about 55. <laughs> I know, I'm older than he is. <laughs> and um, he, he, he was kind of, you know, he was in ministry, and he looked at me, and he said this. He said, he said, everybody has Judas times. And I said, what is a Judas time? He said, one out of 12 people that you know will betray you. And I thought, what a nasty outlook. How many of you know what I'm saying? I don't want to believe that. 
I don't want to believe that. But that was kind of his, you know, and you, you think about it. Is, you know, if you study Moses, what you find out is God spoke to Moses about going into the promised land. And his one and two person in his life was his sister Mary, Miriam and his brother Aaron. If you track with it, what you find out is they basically betrayed Moses. And Moses had to get over it in order to embrace Joshua. He would have never had a Joshua had he not followed the Lord and getting over Miriam and Aaron, which equipped him to possess the promised land of God for his life. Having said all of that, is I think in our life is that one of the greatest examples of getting over it in the Bible is Joseph in the book of Genesis. We're going to drill into his life, and what we're going to see is that Joseph, and what I love about the story of Joseph is you find out not just about Joseph, but you're able to see his family dynamics. You're able to see the way decisions are made. You're able to see the way that they function. And we could say every family has levels of dysfunction. Are you with me? Every family has levels. There's no perfect families. The only perfect family is heaven. God is all of our father, and he looks and says, y'all got areas of dysfunction. How many of you know what I'm saying? You said you said the word y'all. That's because God is a Texan. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> is Joseph in his family environment and his story encompassed 13 chapters in the book of Genesis. Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. And if you study his life, what you find out, and we're going to read it, but what you find out is that God gave him, he didn't ask, God gave him two dreams, and after those dreams, the level of hurt, the level of betrayal, the level of borderline killing him followed, and the very first thing, and this is number one, that Joseph had to learn is this feeling will pass. Whenever we go through something that we need to get over, the tendency can be to identify with the feeling of the moment rather than the goodness and the promise of God over my life. And when we identify with the feeling of the moment and we think this is just, I'm going to feel like this forever. This is the way my outlook, I can't see. Realize this, God knows where you're at. The Bible says in in Hebrews that Jesus was made in a body like you and I have so that he could be tempted, tested, and tried like you and I are tempted, tested, and tried. And then it says this, so that he could run to and assist us when we are being tempted, tested, and tried. And what we have to realize in our life is whenever we face hard, discouraging, and difficult things, the temptation is to think 
This feeling is never going to change. I want to tell you, God is a good God. God is a faithful God. Feelings are the voice of today, but God's word is a prophecy about tomorrow. And so we have to be able to stop in our life. I mean, could you imagine being Joseph? God gives him two dreams about his future, and then what happened was the exact opposite. I am sure he thought to himself, I, can't, I would have never thought this would happen. I had never planned this to happen. If you look at him, what's amazing about me, to me about Joseph is his attitude, and he continued to keep a right heart even in the midst of going through everything he went through. And I believe that this is a learning thing in our life. It's not an automatic, you're born with it, but it's a learning thing where we begin to grow. You know, we when you think about the human experience is the only feelings we want to identify with are the celebratory party feel good isn't this incredible but when you read the bible what you realize is god gave us this wide expression of emotion and feeling and one of them is sorrow it's grief and it's knowing that he's lord in those times but also knowing that he's lord in these times in our life are you with me Ecclesiastes, I like this, Ecclesiastes 7.3 says this, Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence over us. I like another translation, says the wise person learns more on the day of mourning than on the day of rejoicing. When we go through things, it's like, wow, Lord, I'm having to go deeper than I've ever gone before in my life. And so I got to realize that maybe right now, God, I just need to identify that, that this feeling that I'm feeling right now, it will pass. It's hard, it's difficult, but it will pass. The next thing is I want to read a scripture. It's actually quite a bit about Joseph's life, and then I'll give you the principle. But in Genesis 37, verse 18 through verse 27, remember God's given him two dreams. His brothers are jealous of his dreams. His brothers don't like him because of his dreams. And it says in Genesis 37, verse 18, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him in to one of these cisterns or wells. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph res Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to, down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up our crime. 
instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. I want you to think about this for a moment. It went from a dream to we're going to kill him to now we're going to sell him to some slave traders. Look at verse 36. And the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer, officer of Pharaoh, and the captain. Now look at his job description. And chief executioner of the royal guard. Think about that for a moment. Who are you a slave of? The, not just the executioner. He's the guy that trains people to kill people for the royal guard. He's the chief executioner. This is who they sell Joseph to. Jump with me to Genesis 39, verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, the Egyptian army. Potiphar was captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now look at this statement. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Look at that powerful statement. God was with him. It says that he succeeded. One translation says that he prospered. Now I want to just ask you a question. How can you succeed and prosper on the outside when somebody else owns you and you get nothing, they get everything? What God saw is even though on the outside it looked like this, is on the inside Joseph was prospering. Joseph was succeeding. Joseph was taking steps. Whenever we go through something that we say, I just need to get over this, realize this, that you're looking at the outside but what God is saying is I will prosper you I will enlarge you I will cause you to take ground on the inside and I will develop things on the inside of you that will cause you and equip you to step in to what I have for you tomorrow but we're so locked into this is what I'm feeling but it says that 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 Joseph because the Lord was with him caused him to succeed even though he's serving as a slave what a mouthful. His attitude was right in a difficult spot. Now look at this. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Man, I'm in a bad spot. Person that owns me now is being blessed because of me. How many of y'all know? Might get your goat just a little bit. Look at what it says. From the day he was put in his charge of master's house property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. So Joseph was a good-looking dude. 
said, not just good looking, he says he's well built. Now look at this, verse 7. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? Now look at what he said. It would be a great sin against God. What a powerful statement. She kept, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he, kept, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak or his coat, demanding, come on, sleep with me. I want you to think about this for a moment. Joseph is probably in his upper teens, low 20s at this point. I guarantee you, Potiphar's wife was a hottie. How many of you know what I'm saying? This dude is like chief executioner. He's way up there. It says, she grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come and sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. Now look at verse 14. She called out to the servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. Think about this for a moment. Joseph has a dream. His brothers throw him into a well, talk about killing him. Then they sell him as a slave. Now the wife lies about him to the chief executioner, and Potiphar comes in verse 19. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him in, into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused, now look at this statement, everything he did to succeed. Number two is this, is he didn't blame God, but lived in a reverence and a respect for God. Whenever we go through things that are hard and difficult on us, the temptation can be, God, how could you let this happen? God, how did this? God, I thought you were. Because it's uncomfortable, so we blame God. But what I love about this story is Joseph refused to blame God, but he lived with a reverence and a respect for God. See, things are going to happen in our life that we don't get. Things are going to happen that we just have to trust. Things are going to happen that we stop and we look and we say, God, what is going on? Why is this happening? I look, this is a, a quote from a, somebody by the name of Zorn Neil Hurston. And it says, there are years that ask questions and there are years that answer them. 
See, in our lives sometimes, you might be in a, you're looking and God is saying, I will take care of that answer down the road, but right now, you need to trust me. You say, but Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm in. We've got to realize that we live in a messed up world. Good, bad things happen to good people. People do things sometimes. Life doesn't seem fair, but I want to tell you this. God is good. God is faithful. God has promised to be with you. God never promised a life without adversity. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he was getting ready to leave the earth in John 16, he turned to his followers and he said, in this life, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have trials, and you're going to have distress in your life. Our faith can't be rooted on the comfort of this world. Our faith must be rooted in a conviction that God is good, that God is leading, that God is faithful. God, I don't understand. This is causing me pain. But what I do know is that you are good, that you are faithful. This pain will cease. And that God, even though in the midst of it, I don't understand, what I will do is keep a right spirit and a right heart and a reverence underneath you that you're leading my life. See, if we keep our heart right toward God and toward others, I I believe that nothing can shut us down from all that God has for our future. Number three is this, is I must apply myself if I want to grow past this. I must apply myself. You say, what do you mean by that? Do you remember what we read about Joseph? It says that the Lord was with him so that he succeeded in everything he did, not intended to do, but what he did. Well, I'm going to do that. Well, I'll st- okay, God, I'll follow you. Okay, I'll step. No, no, what I want you to notice is it says everything he did, and then it described he served in the home of his Egyptian master. He did in a difficult spot. He did when it didn't make sense. He did when it was hard on him. And what God did is God equipped, and it says Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. If we're going to see that God is with us, we got to be willing to say, Lord, I realize it right now. It's difficult, but I'm going to apply myself because I want to grow past this. I want to get past this in my life. You know, I, and I think a lot of times what we do in our lives is when we have our Bibles. Anybody have, baby, can I see your paper Bible? How many of you have paper Bibles? I'm going back to paper. I got, I'm all digital, but I just, I mark, I mark up my paper Bibles so much that I have to get new ones because I just, just write in them. But a lot of times when we're reading our Bible, what we fail to realize is we're reading on this side of the page and we go to another page and we act like that it was the next day. Oh, that happened the next day. When it was actually 10, 15, 20, and sometimes 50 years later that the next page started. And so we read our Bible like, God, you just did this here, and you just did this here, not realizing, yeah, God did both, but there was a 20-year gap between them. And somebody had to keep their heart right. Somebody had to do the right thing. 
Somebody had to just say, God, I'm going to trust you. And if you study Joseph's life, what you find out about his life is that he was in Potiphar's house for not days, not weeks, not months, not a year, but years he was serving Potiphar. And then when he went into prison, he was not in prison for not days, not weeks, not months, but he was in prison for years. And wherever you went, what I love about it is it says in verse 22 of Genesis 39, and we already read this, before long the, the warden put Joseph in charge of all other prisoners and over everything that happened. Verse 23 says the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed what he did and and I think behind every bummer God has set me up for a blessing if I'll seek him in it and take his lead and apply myself and begin to say okay God this is what I'm going to do I'm going to do this. Many times what we do is we want God to show us the next season. Lord, what have you called me to do? But we don't want to develop the skills to be excellent where we're at. And God is saying, I need you to realize I'm working with you right where you're at. Number four is this. Is the seed of God's best can usually be found in a pile of manure if I'm open to it. You know, some of you wouldn't use the word manure. You would use another word. <laughs> but we're at church. How <laughs> many of you know what I'm saying? The manure of him being thrown in to an empty well. The manure of him being sold as a slave. The manure of him being lied about. The manure of him being in prison for doing the right thing. The manure of if you study his life, you find out while he's in prison, two people come to him. One is the king's cupbearer. The other is the king's baker. And they come to him and they have these dreams and nobody can interpret them. And Joseph interprets the dream and he says, if my interpretation is right, when you get out of here, I want you to tell the king and remember he, his interpretation was right and they forgot all about him. The manure of helping people and them mistreating you and forgetting you. God is good. He sees everything. The Bible says that he's touched with what we go through. But what we've got to realize in our life is that whenever we have things to get over, we have to stop and say, okay, right now, God, I'm facing some manure, and I believe you want to use it to fertilize something great in my life for the future. And the last one, number five, are you guys all tracking with me? Let transformation have the last word. You say, what do you mean by that? If you read the rest of this story, what you find out is Joseph goes from a prisoner to the prime minister of Egypt in 24 hours. A 24-hour period, he goes from the prisoner to the prime minister of Egypt in a 24-hour period. And then the Bible says there comes a point where there is a famine in the land. And he, he, he interprets Pharaoh's dream and says, you're going to have seven years of abundance and you're going to have seven years of famine. Just so you know, it's called the Laffer Curve, Ronald Reagan's economic advisor. Use Joseph's, uh, Joseph, what Joseph 
did to raise money and get, get them through the famine, he used that in his economic plan with Ronald Reagan. I just thought it was, I didn't mean to go there, but it just shocked me <laughs> because he was a Christian. You know what I'm saying? But, there, but if you look, is that you stop and you think about, is that he's, they're in this famine, and finally the land where he came from, Canaan, is in the famine, and he is the prime minister dispensing grain because he interprets Pharaoh's dream and says, Pharaoh, basically, he said, your dream is there's going to be seven years of abundance and seven years of famine. And you need to appoint somebody to strategize and have a strategy because this famine is going to be like any other famine the world has ever been through. And he turns to Joseph and says, you are that man. And he goes to the prime minister. And so Joseph then turns to Pharaoh and says, what I recommend is basically you cut the taxes of the people and put more money in their pocket so they have more seed to be able to sow and it will be seven years of abundance it will be an abundant harvest and you will buy the crops from them at a reduced rate because there's an overabundant supply but then when the supply diminishes and goes into the famine you will be sitting sweet and you'll be able to sell it and you will own the entire earth because everybody will give up everything they have in order to make it through this famine and so now his brothers are in the land of Canaan and they're starving so the father sends them the 12 the 11 brothers that that put him in the well that sold him as a slave the brothers that were responsible for him going to jail as they come and they stand before him and they're basically saying can we get some food from you but they don't even recognize that it's Joseph because he looks like an Egyptian he's using an interpreter to talk with them so they don't even know he knows their language and they come in and they're basically saying we need to buy food from you so that we can survive I want you to think about this for a moment if Joseph would have had an inch of unforgiveness resentment or bitterness had festered on the inside of him it's at this moment that he would have stopped and said off with all of their heads take them out his brothers don't know that it's him and so what they do is that they're talking through the interpreter and then they begin to verbalize among themselves and they begin to say, you know, the only reason this is happening to us is because of what we did to Joseph 20 years ago when we, when we threw him in the well and we sold him as a slave. This is the reason we're in this place and they're speaking in their native tongue and Joseph understands all of it and he's sitting right in front of them and they don't know and the Bible says he, he can't take it anymore. And let's just read. It says, speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly, we have been punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life. They're saying this in their native tongue. Joseph's listening. They don't know he can understand. That's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? Reuben asked. But you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. Of course, they didn't know Joseph understood them. Verse 23, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke with them again. Joseph sitting there listening. All of the pain gets stirred up. And he's got to exit to get his composure back. Go to Genesis 45. This is the next time they come in for a second round 
of food. Months, we don't know, probably months later. Genesis 45. They're standing before Joseph, and he said, Joseph could, know, could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. He said, I'm Joseph. To his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Let me just throw this little insert. How many of you believe that he scared the bejesus out of them? How many of you know what I'm saying? They're just like, no, no, him, him's him, you know. Look at what it said. Joseph said, please come closer. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourself for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. Talk about a healthy inside. He basically said, everything that I've been through has turned out for my good. Man, let that be said of us. Can we say, can we say amen to that? Let that be said of us. You know, years later, I'm sure, well, you can see, his brothers are like, only reason we're still alive is because dad's alive. And they're thinking that. And the Bible says, remember, Joseph's dad was Jacob. And after Jacob dies, all of his brothers think, now he's going to have his revenge for all the wrong we did. And look at what it says in Genesis 50, verse 18. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? What a... To realize it's not our job to punish people. It's not my job when something happens that I don't like or I disagree. It isn't our job to punish. No, it's not that, no that's God. Verse 20. You intended to harm me but God intended it, now look at that statement, all for good. Can we look at maybe the things that have harmed us? Maybe the things that have been difficult on us. Maybe the things that we've not understood and we don't get. How could this happen? God, how could you let this happen? Can we look at that and say, God, I'm going to stay in faith, trusting and believing keeping my heart right, believing that you're going to turn that for all good in my life. He said, he brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. See, Joseph kept his heart right. 
And sometimes that is the toughest thing to do when we're going through stuff in our life. It is the toughest thing. You say, why is that? Because when we're under pain and when we don't understand and it is unjust and it isn't fair, what Satan is trying to do is he tries to sow baggage, weights, and stuff onto the inside of us that hinder us. He's trying to defile us when we go through things so that we pick up his baggage and drag it into the next season of our life. And God is saying, let me show you how to do this right. You know, I said number five. Guys, I I don't know if you wrote, if you went to the Bible app and looked at it, but number five is let transformation have the last word. Stop trying to prove things to people. Stop trying to say, well, I mean, I'll just prove this to them that I'm changed because of. No, what we are speaks louder than what we say. And so to be able to say in our lives, you know what? Okay, I, I, I've been through a lot, but you know what? I'm just going to walk this out, and God, you're going to heal me on the inside, and I don't have to perform for anybody because you know, and you've got me, and I love you, and I trust you with my life. Are you with me today? Yeah, give God a shout. Thank you, Lord. You know, I don't know what you've been through, but I can imagine everybody here. You know, I was in the hospital when Peter went home. And he's a friend. I sat there and I just cried. You say, why? Because I'm human. I love God. I trust God. We don't get it. We don't understand it. But this is what I absolutely know. That in this messed up, broken world, God's faithful and good. See, if we don't have faith, we don't have anything. Faith isn't for the good days. Faith is for all days. And it's in those seasons that we learn to say, God, when it's painful, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I want you, if you would, everyone stand to your feet.